Are you guys ready for God's word? Well, some of you are, I guess. The rest of you are still waking up. Are you ready for God's word? Amen. Um, Well, we have been in the middle of a sermon series entitled Worship. And worship is not just something you watch, but something you participate in. And in fact, we said that worship is connecting with God. And so when you connect with God, you actually connect with his peace. Jesus came to connect us with God. And that's why he says, my peace I bring to you, my peace I leave with you. To connect with Jesus is to connect with peace. To connect with God in worship is to be at peace, no fear. The New Testament also tells us that God's peace brings freedom. And when we get God's freedom, we get it through his truth. Jesus Christ said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You know what else the Bible says about freedom, truth? Talks about, talks about when you are at peace and you're set free from, from, from fear. We're going to talk about fear and insecurity in, in a little bit. And we're going to really unfold that topic. But when you have insecurity and fear, and that's what the world has without Jesus, then it's hard to serve one another. You know why it's hard? Because then it, you feel like you're losing something. You're going to be less than. Well, I can't serve. I can't give. Because then what about me? And when you're in Christ, then you realize that the more you give, the more he gives you. You can never outgive God. How many of you have figured that one out? You can't outgive God. The more you give, the more he replenishes and the more he just continues to bless because he wants you to be a conduit of his blessing. And so service becomes possible and selflessness becomes possible and ultimately sacrifice. Now watch this. When you connect with sacrifice, then you connect with his ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. That was the ultimate expression of God's love. And God's love drives out all fear. Drives out all fear and so brings you right back to peace. Brings you right back to being at peace. And so as we unfold this, we use the the. Uh, Old Testament story of the children of Israel through the book of Exodus. And we're going to follow them through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But in starting off, we saw that Pharaoh, or the first 18 chapters of the book of Exodus, deal with, with the children of Israel being set free from the oppression. And not only the oppression, but the, the stifling and, the, and, and the, the brutal treatment of Pharaoh and his entire uh, and his entire nation. And so the Bible shows that, that the first four chapters we covered last week, not last week, but the week before that, because we had a special Sunday last week, but the week before that, we covered Pharaoh's evil and how he oppressed God's people and tried to stifle the fruitful and multiplying blessing of the Lord in his people's lives. We saw God confronting Pharaoh right? Confronting Pharaoh using Moses and Aaron as his mouthpieces saying, let my people go that they may what? Worship me. In some of your versions, it might say, let my people go so they may serve me. And so service and worship go hand in hand. And so you have, you have the ultimate confrontation that took place the night of Passover. And so That was when the angel of the Lord passed over those households that were marked with the blood of the lamb. And they did not experience death. Until this day, the children of Israel still celebrate Passover. 
As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ was crucified on Passover as the ultimate, ultimate lamb that marks the doorways of our heart. Amen? And so you have here after Passover, they're going through the wilderness. God sets them free through, through the wilderness and then ultimately breaks off any attempt of the enemy to get them back at the Red Sea when they crossed on dry land and when the, uh, when the Egyptian army tried to follow, the, the, the rushing waters crushed them and swallowed them up alive. Now they're in the wilderness and to everyone's surprise, they're actually complaining. Not only complaining, but they criticize and they go beyond criticize. They start to challenge Moses and start to challenge uh, Aaron. And we'll see more of that as we get into the second half of the book. So that's the first half of the book. The second half of the book starts in chapter 19 and, and chapters 19 through 40, the second half of the book are all about a covenant at Mount Sinai. What kind of covenant? Not just any covenant, but God's renewal, his promise that he ultimately made with Abraham is renewed with Abraham's descendants. And so I want, you to, remi I want to remind you of, of the Abrahamic covenant it's a restatement or it's, a, it's God re-engaging the people of earth and, and, and his creation with his desire to bless them. And so in the Garden of Eden, God wanted Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. He wanted them to be in relationship with him and he wanted to bless their socks off, amen? Now they, they, uh, they kind of, what would you say, forfeited that when they fell in the sin and denied God and all of these things. And so then God selects for himself there in Genesis, a man by the name of Abraham. And he says, I'm gonna bless you and you're gonna be the father of many nations and through your people, I will set him up to be a blessing to the rest of the world. And so you hear, you see here, the blessing that he gives to Abraham in chapters 12, 15, and 17. Why is this important? Because he is being faithful to his word. How many of you know God is faithful to his word? One of the characteristics of God that's, that's over and over highlighted and accentuated in God's word is holiness, is it not? Now, now let, me, let me share something with you about holiness. Because a lot of times when we think of holiness and we go, well, what does holiness mean? And you go, well, holiness is like, oh, you know, it's something like, God. Oh, just, how about holiness is completely what we're not? It's, it, it sets apart God as completely other. That's a philosophical term. I know that's like, wow, that's so technical. Completely other than us, meaning that we are temporal. He's not. We are, um, we are finicky, he's not. We change, he doesn't. He never changes, he's completely consistent, he's true to his word, and so if he says, Abraham, I will bless you and your people, then guess what, he's gonna be faithful, and if he, if, if he promises you to bless you, how many of you know, how many of us have learned that about God's character, that he is faithful to his promises, he is holy. He is holy. There is no changing. There is no shadow of turning with him, as James puts it in the book of James. And so in Exodus 19, this is where we start off our story, God is reaffirming his covenant with Abraham's people, the children of Israel. Read with me. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob. Now why? Does God highlight Jacob? 
I thought we were talking about a restatement or re-engaging of the Abrahamic covenant. This is exactly what this is. Jacob is Abraham's grandson. So God restates it with Abraham. He restates it with Isaac. And then he restates it with Jacob to the third generation. Now, why is Jacob significant? Because Jacob was one of two brothers. He didn't actually have the blessing But Esau despised the blessing, meaning gave it away, didn't want it. He didn't really protect it that much. He didn't care that much about it. You can see throughout the the word how Esau's attitude is towards God's blessing. Jacob really wanted it, but it wasn't his to have. And so what does he do? He lies, he cheats, he steals, he does all kinds of craziness. And it's as if God is saying, look, I love you even though you're not perfect. Come on, can I get an amen? Say, Lord, thank you for loving imperfect people because that means there's hope for me. And God is saying, look, if you want me, if you want my blessing, it's there for you and I will engage you and I will love you and I will make it right. And so he, he, he hearkens back to Jacob. I love that because Jacob reminds me that I can be a part of God's family. And so here he says, to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, what are we gonna tell them? Here you go. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine and you shall be my kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so God is literally saying, I want to set you apart just like I did Abraham, just like I did Isaac, just like I did Jacob. And now you're an entire nation that will be set apart. You'll be ambassadors for me. And I'm going to instill in you my sense of justice, my sense of righteousness, my sense of goodness. But not only that, I want to bless you so that you can be Watch this. So that you can be generous even as I am generous with you. You know what? You've got to be a blessed people if you want to be generous. How many of you know you can't give what you don't have? If you're empty, you can't fill somebody else up. But God wants to overflow you with blessings so that you can bless others. Because ultimately, he wants you to see, he wants the world to see that he loves them. And that there is a better way. Come on now. There is a better way. How many of you realize that the moment you found Jesus Christ? I've been living, going in that direction, but the moment I understood God's love for me and his blessing, I turned around and life hasn't been better. I'm not saying it's been easy. I'm not saying it's a bed of roses, but, but I, I live with purpose now. And because I live with that purpose, now I am part of the covenant blessing family to help bless others and to help others understand there is a better way. There's a better way. And so God is saying, my ways are not the world's ways and I want you to be my ambassadors. Why do you think Jesus steps onto the scene and he talks about the blessed life? And he says, blessed are those who are what? Poor in spirit. Oh, what would the world say? This is Jesus' way. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit. The world says, blessed are those that are ambitious. Blessed are those that are meek, right? Blessed are those who suffer. Blessed are those who are, you know, are righteous and are hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those that do whatever it takes to succeed. Blessed are those that, that, that just fight like, like, 
in this doggy dog world to get ahead. Do you see what God is doing here? God is saying, no, 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 no. I want to go back to the garden. I want to reestablish what I intended from the beginning. And I'm going to do it through my blessed people that will go on through the line and ultimately be responsible for the Savior of the world coming down. And ultimately, Jesus Christ will die as the Passover lamb for the entire world. But I want my people to live as priests, introducing others to me and my goodness. And so this is what he's doing here. And so in chapter 19, they've just been set free. They're out in the wilderness. The Egyptians are drowned in the Red Sea. And God comes to them and says, how about it? Can we make a deal? How many of you would say, Oh, yeah. So his people say, we'll take it. Yes, we'll be your people. Watch, there's three parts to this deal that God is making. It's not a deal, it's a covenant. It's a holy promise. It's a holy relationship. Covenant marks relationship, connection, worship, service. So this is what he says in chapter 19. From chapter 19 to 24, you see this unfolding to the next step. By chapter 20, God says, okay, this is what this covenant is going to be like. And he brings forth the Ten Commandments. How many of you guys remember the Ten Commandments? Now consider with me the Ten Commandments and how they start. Listen to what chapter 20 sounds like. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Okay? How does that relate to Christians? I am the Lord Jesus Christ who saved you from the fallen, dead world that you were living in. Watch this. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved or engraven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath. Don't worship an idol, number two. Number three, you shall not take my name in vain, for even my name you should honor. Do you know what that sounds like? That sounds like wedding vows. Forsake all others. Be faithful to me, and I'll be faithful to you. Right? Respect and honor one another. Respect and honor me. And you know, so, so they're like, yeah, let's do that. But they modify it a little bit. How do we know? Because by the end of that chapter, now that was the beginning of chapter 20. Read with me chapter 20, verses 18 and 19. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, you go, whoa, pastor, what mountain? Okay, so they've crossed through the Red Sea they're wandering in the desert, but they're not really wandering. God leads them to Sinai, Mount Sinai. This is where he is going to present himself to the people. And he says, it's very, very important. Watch this. When I spoke to, to, to Moses on Mount Sinai, it was one bush, one man, one bush. But now I'm gonna speak to my entire nation. So this is what's gonna happen. I want the whole mountain coordinated off. You cannot approach it. You can only come so far. Don't let your animals graze by it. Don't do all of these things. 
and make sure you prepare yourselves. And he gives them the preparations. And then he says, when time, when it's time, I want everybody to gather. Don't go any further than I've told you and I will descend on the mountain. So one man, one bush, many people hold mountains on fire. It's a, it is an awesome sight. Think about this with me for a second. And then watch what it says. It says, when the people saw the thunder, can you see thunder? Evidently, when God shows up, you can. <laughs> what, what is thunder? It's actually the air filling the pocket that the lightning left, is what I heard. So if you see it, oh, this must be a big, it might be like, boom. I mean, you felt it. So I was barbecuing something just the other day and I had some friends over and, uh, and, and I bought this new little contraption from Bucky's. That was my first mistake. No, I'm just kidding. Bucky's has awesome stuff and I, will, I, I love Bucky's. So I go over there and I buy this little air fryer thing and I hook it up and I have Jewel help me and we hook it up and then you're supposed to light it, right? And so I didn't know you put the lighter there, then you turn the grass on very slowly, right? I, it, city boy, city boy, right? The country boys are sitting there like, oh, this ain't gonna be good, but they don't say anything. And so I turn it on full blast and then I get the lighter and I can't get it to go. I can't get it to go. Finally, I go, boom. I mean, you felt it. And Dimitri looks at me, he goes, dude, I felt that in my chest, man. What are you doing? And then Joel goes, wow, pastor, we have no more eyebrows, but th this is my point. It was scary. Can I tell you, they were scared. Look, look at their response. So they modify the covenant some. They say, they say they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. This is too intense. How about you be our mediator? Come on, how many times will, do we do the same thing? I know we'd like to think that we're different than the children of Israel, but how many of us have, have just come to the realization I'm just like them? I know I am, I'm just like them. Maybe you can relate to this. Hey, you know what, God, I know you wrote this book to me and I know that, that, that you know, it's a love letter to me, but, but how about I just let Pastor Chris tell me what you said? Hello. How about I just let my disciple maker tell me what you said? How about I just let somebody else, some televangelist, somebody else just explain to me God's word because it's just too hard, it's just too difficult, it's just... Can I get an amen? I, oh, wow. This is like, no. You're not, now you're just meddling, pastor. You started off preaching great. Now you're meddling. Right? No, but, but we have to relate to this. We go, no, no. We'll deal with you, Moses. So now it's been modified. Watch this. Now in chapter 25, God takes it to the third step of the covenant. Verse, verse nine, chapter 19, he says, do you want to enter into a covenant? They say, yes. Chapter 20, he says, here are the commandments. Here are the instructions beyond the commandments, explaining the commandments at a deeper level. They say, yes, but one thing, deal with Moses. Okay, chapter 25 comes around. He says, I don't really want to deal with Moses only. He says, in fact, I'll deal with Moses, but, but step three is this. And let them make 
a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. How many of you know God wants to dwell in your home? God wants to be close to you because he loves you. He loves you. Church, he loves you. He says, no, no, that's not good. I don't want to be afar off. He loved you so much that he sent his son and he says, I love you this much. As he hung on a cross with his arms wide open saying, this is how much I love you. Stay with me on this. So chapter, uh, verse 25, oh, excuse me, verse um, eight of chapter 25 is God restoring that blessing that he had with Adam and Eve in the garden. He's saying, I'm gonna build a tabernacle and this tabernacle will be the garden place where we will meet again. This will be the garden between what? Earth and heaven where we will ultimately dwell. So all of the all of the different intricacies of the tabernacle, from the little gravings from the, to the colors to the different materials, it was all representing something. It was representing God's holy place here on earth where he would come and dwell with us. Now, this is what's beautiful. We'll talk about this more later, but I wanted you to see this. When God says, I want to dwell among you, look at what he does. In these chapters, he begins to give them the specific requirements on how they're supposed to build this tabernacle and where the tabernacle is supposed to go. So there's 12 tribes, and he says, I'm going to put my tabernacle smack dab in the middle of all my people. That's significant. Right in the middle of all my people. And then the Levites, the tribe of Levites, they will be the priests, and they are to encamp where? Around the tabernacle. And so they will form a box around the tabernacle. It's supposed to be a perfect square around the tabernacle. He gives, them, he gives them the instructions. And then he says, I want you uh, uh, tribes, and he calls them by name, I want you to go down from the tabernacle. He calls the other tribes by name up from the tabernacle. And he divides them out specifically on the sides. And so it looks like he's making a big plus. How do we know this? Because he says, I want you to take from where the Levites stop. You can't just spread out. You take from where the Levites stop and you go back. From where the Levites stop and you go back. Same thing up, same thing to the side. So there should be no one in the what? In the southeast corner, southwest corner, the northeast, northwest corner. It should be straight back from the Levites, right? You know what's interesting, when you look at the book of Numbers, that is literally a census of the tribes of Israel, you see that the largest portion was on the bottom. The ones on the side equaled each other, and the one on the top was smaller than the one on the bottom. So if you were Balaam, the, the, the uh, I don't know how you describe Balaam. I, always, I want to describe him kind of like a, a, a weird sorcerer. He's up on a mountaintop with Balak, the evil king, who Balak has hired Balaam to curse the children of Israel. But the, but the angel of God showed up to Balaam and said, you cannot say a word that I don't put in your mouth. And he looks down on the children on the camp with the tabernacle in the middle and the tribes out. Do you know what he's seen? He has seen a perfect cross with God dwelling among them in the middle covering them and God says this, tell, tell Balak this, 
I cannot curse what God has blessed. Child of God, you have been blessed. God dwells in you. He dwells among you. He made the form of the cross by his Holy Spirit on your heart. And there is nothing, nothing, nothing that the enemy can do if you stay under God's protection. If you stay under God's protection. Therefore, when you sing, I have authority, you're speaking the truth. You have the authority of Jesus Christ to proclaim a blessing over your life. And no man can curse what God has already pronounced blessed. That's your marriage. That's your children. Oh my goodness, come on, someone get excited. Someone needs to receive that here today and say, my home is blessed in Jesus' name. And God, dwell in it. Come, make yourself at home. Don't just speak to Pastor Chris. Yes, he has his own relationship with you, but Lord, I'm not abdicating mine. I want my relationship with you. I covet it. I love it. And so you have, from chapters 25 to 31, the next unfolding of this covenant, the next facet where he begins to give them perfect blueprints on how they're supposed to construct this beautiful place where God will come and live with them. So you say to yourself, what did it look like? This was the over, uh, the over map of it. Can you see this? And so as you walk in, you encounter the altar and then the laver where the priest would do the ceremonial washing. And so you have the, true, the, the way, the truth, and ultimately the life. This is everything symbolized Jesus. What, what you may not realize is that there were six different sacrifices that are to be done or offerings that were given. Now, many people will list only five. So if you Google it, they'll say five, but there's a sixth one they always leave out. And that was the sacrificial offering of the ordination of the priests. So the Levites, they had to be ordained. Aaron and his sons had to be ordained and they had a specific ritual just like the other ones. It was the sixth one. There's six here on earth in the Old Testament. But the seventh, you know who that is? You know what that is? That's Jesus Christ on the cross. And all of those six point to him on the cross. Seven is the number of completion, therefore it is done. How, may, how, do, you, how do we know this? Because when Jesus hung on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. It is done. The sacrificial system is closed. Now, when people worship God in my name, they have perfect connection and perfect peace. Perfect peace. You say, wow, we're privileged. They were too. They looked forward in faith. We look back in faith. And we both meet at the cross of Jesus right in the middle of pinnacle of history. And so as they look forward in faith, you have these five different items, or you might say six different items, but there's one they're missing. The one that many of us often miss, and that is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that soon, but I wanna show you something. You have the altar, you have the laver, and right here where they say the door is, that's where the anointing oil would be done. You would have to be anointed before you go in there. And so 
If you want to experience the Christian life, you have to experience the what? Justification and righteousness of salvation in Jesus. Baptism, you get the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I can go through it all, but ultimately this, this veil here is the veil of walking from this earth into eternity into God's presence forever. This is, this is beautiful. It all symbolizes who you are in Christ. And so as we go on, you see that God is unfolding this beautiful covenant with his people. And then lo and behold, chapter 32 takes place. Guess what happens in 32? The wheels fall off the wagon. I mean, wait a minute. They just said, yes, we'll, we'll covenant with you. Yes, we'll be faithful. And then they do what? Well, read with me some of 32. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, come, make us gods that shall go before us. Make us gods that will go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And one commentator says that the Hebrew puts it in like coarse writing. It sets it off, meaning they were like, this guy Moses, we don't know what the heck happened to him. They're angry. They're frustrated. Another passage tells us that Moses has more than likely been gone about 40 days. Is that that long? Come on, how many of us do the same thing? We get impatient. Any impatient people in the room? Any impatient people? Can I, can I share something with you? If you're human, you're impatient. If you're human, you're impatient. That, that's what it means to be human, to be impatient. To, and how many of you have ever heard, don't pray for patience? Anyone ever heard, don't pray for patience? How many of you, do, nope, don't ever pray for patience because God will put it on you, baby. He'll put the, the whammy on you and he'll put the, you know, you might be like triple whammy. Can I tell you, that's a bunch of baloney. That's not in God's word. That is the enemy getting in and beginning to share with you, don't pray for patience. Why? Because the Bible says love is patient and love is kind. So when you pray for patience, you're literally saying, Lord, show me a deeper expression of your love that I may trust. Uh-oh that I may trust in it, that I may truly be confident in it, that I may truly let it set me free from, from fear because impatience comes from insecurity. Come on, how many of you can relate to this story? My wife and I have gotten in a fight more than once in, in an argument, not fight, not fight is a bad word, argument, discussion, maybe not even a discussion, a, a talk where I was wrong. <laughs> I got, a, I got a witness back here. I did, I did a talk where I, I, I agreed how wrong I was. And, um, and so this is how it goes. We're, we're, we're in a crowded theater. We're going to a, 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 some kind of event. And she says, can you save some seats? Because I have to. Thank you. you. You've been there before. I gotta go to the bathroom. I gotta go to the restroom. And then the girls say yes. And I go to save seats. And how many of you hate to save seats, guys? Because you start getting the ugly looks and people go, really? 
is anybody sitting here? And I'm like, I got this little piece of paper there. You know how you put it, you get everything out of your wallet. You don't carry much stuff, guys. So you're trying to save seats. You're taking off clothing, putting it on the seats. You take off a sock, you put it on the seat. You know, you're just trying to, you don't want to engage. And women, y'all are so much better that, oh yeah, I'm saving all of these. <laughs> your family's only four, but you're saving 10, you know? <laughs> guys are like, I'm saving two. My kids can sit in my lap, even though they're 18, <laughs> you know? And then, the, and then somebody comes up and it just feels so uncomfortable. Finally, an hour later, they are, I mean, what feels like an hour to me. <laughs> they come back and I'm like, dude, where you been? Anyone? Am I the only crazy man in the room? I'm like, come on, I hate this. Maybe a colorful little word there. And then she says, Anyway, this is not about marriage counseling today. This is about impatience from insecurity. Why did I get so impatient? Because I don't like the way it makes me feel. Why did they get impatient? Because they don't like the way it makes you feel. You're like, I'm going to be late. We're going to this, we're going to that. I don't know. And when you start getting all that insecurity, it comes from fear. It comes from not feeling adequate. They're impatient. And so they're trying to cover their impatience and as you try to cover your fear, you will always try to do it through worship. Why? Because you were created to connect with God, but the enemy will what? He will try to manipulate and distort that God-given uh, uh, need to worship him and redirect it to worship him, the enemy. And so how does he do it? He gets you to engage the worldly system. So what did they do? They said, make us gods. Isn't it interesting how man will always prefer to worship, not the true God, because the true God's intimidating. The true God is big. The true God is, is demanding. The true God is scary. The true God has me conform. The, I'd rather worship a God made in my image that I can fold, that I can mold, that I can conform, that I cannot be threatened by. And as a matter of fact, I'll make him cute and I'll put him up on the shelf. Think about it. So they come to Aaron and they put pressure on, if you've ever been in leadership or you're in leadership now, be careful of the crowd. The crowd very seldom makes great decisions. Think about this. They're like, we want a golden calf. We want a king. And God's going, you have a king. We want an earthly king. We want an earthly king like the foreign nations. Oh, the one, the, like the ones that the king mistreats you, enslaves you, punishes you, kills you, takes your daughters, takes your sons to war. That kind of king? Yes. The crowd, be wary of the crowd. <laughs> So the crowd's like, let's make this. Aaron says, okay. Really, leaders? <laughs> really? Don't ever just go with it. Man, put up a fight. <laughs> He's like, okay, well, they really want it. Let's go for it. And so Aaron says, give me, get your daughters and your wives and your families heirlooms. Give me their earrings. Give me everything. Isn't that interesting how the enemy will try to steal from your family its good fortune through sorry worship? Mm. See, the enemy's gonna take 
God's gonna give. And so you say, oh, but I would never make a false God like that. Yeah, you probably wouldn't because I wouldn't go and fashion anything out of gold. But how do you deal with your insecurity? I know I've dealt with it with titles. Oh, if I could only get this, then I feel better. If I could only get this house, then I feel better. If I could only drive this car, then I feel better. If I could only dress this way, then I feel better. If I could only, isn't that a God? Keeping your attention away from the one true God. You say, pastor, what should I do? Sell the house? No, have it have its proper place. Have your job have its proper place. Have, and remember that God is the one true God and that we must engage him with our ultimate affection. See, watch this. If you connect in love with God, then his love drives out all what? Fear. Drives out all fear. And the crowd, the crowd can be finicky. The crowd can be fickle. Isn't that what Gladiator says? You ever watched the movie Gladiator? Some of you are looking at me like I'm no, making no sense. Anyway, Gladiator has nothing to do with the Bible. Get rid of it. Let's go back to God's word. Because <laughs> y'all are looking like, oh no, we don't watch rated R movies at all. <laughs> so here we go. The, the crowd can change. And if you're following the crowd, then you're gonna change with the crowd. Let me give you an example how this fear has changed us even now. And this is not a political statement. This is not to say you shouldn't wear a mask. My family wears a mask when we go different places. Other people wear masks. I have nothing negative to say about that at all. I think social distancing has its place. I think washing our hands, that should be done more often. I think masks can be appropriate if that's what makes you feel better. But it shouldn't change us. It shouldn't change us. Now watch what happened. We're at the great outdoors buying some plants because all of our plants pretty much died in the freeze. And so we're at the great outdoors. It's a nursery on South Congress and there is a line half a mile long to get in. We wait in there because we drove all the way up there. So we're gonna wait and we wait and we get in. So it's crowded and it's so crowded. And I just happened to say, I'm not putting my mask on. I'm just not doing it. I just, whatever, just didn't do it. And I'm walking around, we're like open air, it's a nursery, I'm just not doing it. Everybody else is wearing a mask, including my own, my own family. And I'm pushing the little cart around. Nobody's making a big deal. They're all smiling, they're all, everybody's, at least I think they're smiling, they're like this. <laughs> and I, I interpret that as a smile. So anyway, I'm driving around and uh, I'm pushing the little cart around and I'm like from here to the, to the exit sign there, a little baby who's on top of the, the second layer of the cart is in a bassinet, goes douche, face first right on the hard, on the hard uh, flooring. And immediately you hear the crash and then you hear the crying. Not a baby baby, but they still couldn't walk. Maybe about nine months, eight months, somewhere in there. And they begin to scream. And I immediately go like this and there's a bunch of people right next to the baby. I'm sitting here 40 yards out. And everybody. Meanwhile, I'm like. I'm just kidding. That's how it felt. 
you know, but I, I run over there. I mean, I'm like, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to ever get there. There's too many women around. They're going to care for that baby. I'm still running. I slide down. I flip the baby over and I look her square in the eye and she looks straight at me like this. And I'm like, it's okay, baby. And I go, you're all right, me, huh? And she deadlocks on my smile, deadlocks on it and goes, eh, you're not my mom, you know. But for a split second, she changed. But, but this is not an anti-mask campaign like commercial. This is not that. What it is is humanity commercial, you know? Like what happens to our humanity? What happens to just being normal? Like mask or not, I don't care if you're wearing a helmet, you know? The baby's crying, run over there. Like we should all knock heads trying to. But, but why did things change? You go, oh, I don't know, why did, why does, fear. Everyone's scared to move, why? Well, what if the mother gets upset? What, you didn't have a mask. I would never have done that. Well, the baby needed me. You know what the mom says? Looks at me square in the eyes and goes, thank you. Their fear, their insecurity, and their direction towards the world led them away from connecting with God. And when you miss your connection with God, you cannot get peace in that direction. You will never have true peace. The only way you have true peace is to connect with God. And when you connect with God, that peace comes from understanding how much he loves you. And if he's making you wait, it's because you need to wait. Don't go out and build a golden calf. Don't get insecure. Rest in his love. Rest in his love. God will never do anything to you that won't bless you. He will never deal with you in a way that's outside of his blessing, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his grace. Even when you might mess up. So this is what happens, guys. God says, that's it, I'm starting over with a new group of people. And I'm gonna use you, Moses, to do it. Now, do you really think God is like dead set on starting over and, and Moses has to talk him off the ledge? God is showing you that when you connect with him, you can really know his character. And when you know his character, you rest in him and you trust him and that's real faith. Real faith is knowing who God is to you. Because Moses says, Lord, that's not who you are. And God smiles and says, my man, that's my boy, yes. You know who I am. You know who I am, why? Because you've been spending time with me. You've been worshiping me. And now it's time to introduce myself to all these other people. Can I tell you, don't be another person, be a Moses. 
Be a Moses. Say, I want to spend time with you, God. I want to know who you are. I want to know so well that it changes the way I live. Why? Because I live out of peace. I live out of strength. I live out of confidence and faith and not insecurity and fear and constantly trying to do my own thing because I'm trying to patch the holes in my life when ultimately... So... This is what God says. And this is where we'll finish next week. God says to Moses, I'm gonna explain to the rest of the world what you've already seen in me. And in in chapter 34, verse six and seven, he says, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God is merciful and gracious. He's long suffering, abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. By no means does that mean that I'm what? Unrighteous or unjust. I'm just and I'm righteous, but I'm also love. Love is made up of two components. Always remember this. Love is made up of mercy and grace. What do you see there? Mercy and grace. Watch this. Mercy is not destroying Israel. Didn't he say, I'm gonna destroy them? Start over. Moses says, that's not who you are, Lord. And the Lord says, my man, you see me. Now I'm gonna explain what you're seeing. You're seeing my love. My love is mercy. That's not giving you what you deserve. Grace is giving you what you don't deserve. So watch, he did not destroy them, but he didn't have to renew the covenant, did he? But yet it's grace says, I'm gonna renew my covenant anyway. I'm gonna renew my covenant. So this is where we finish. When you pray this week, can you pray focused on God's mercy and grace? Real faith is focusing on God, not on you. I've been hearing this in the Christian, Christian circles here and there. Oh, we have to have faith and we have to believe and we have to, and we have to. If it's up to you, you'd be worshiping a cow. Can anyone in the room just say that? Can anyone just say, yeah, if it was up to me, I'd blown it already. I did blow it, but God continues to love me. God continues to be merciful. God continues to be gracious. And because of your mercy, because of your grace, this is what Paul says when he prays in Philippians chapter three. He says, not by my righteousness, Lord, but by your righteousness, God. Not because I'm something special, but because you're awesome, because you're loving, because you never fail, because you are forgiving, because you are gracious, because you have never gotten tired of me, because you have held me even when I tried to run away. You pursued me and you overtook me and you have loved me with an everlasting love and because of your awesome, wonderful. I think our prayers would go further by just praising God instead of, well, I'm faithful and I know exactly how it's gonna turn out and I will never admit. When I pray, I just drop on my knees, God. I need you. I don't
don't know what's going to happen. How can I presume to tell you what you're thinking? But I know you're good and I know you're merciful and I know you're loving and I know, I know those things that your word has said and you have been more than fair with me. I don't deserve it, but because of Jesus, would you? I love you, church. That right there is the cross of Jesus Christ. That right there is the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, I only have an opportunity of faith because you loved me. Because you died on a cross, because you didn't give me destruction and you gave me what I could never afford on my own. Lord Jesus, thank you for, thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your blood, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Church, I love you. Sorry for getting a little excited there at the end, but God's, God's love just jazzes me up. Have a great one. Have a